Let's turn our Bibles to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and let's read the first 12 verses. But we'll send our thoughts on the first three verses. James and chapter 4 I commence reading from verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You are doubtless people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but give grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse yourselves, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exhort you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. There is only one judge, one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray together, shall we? Almighty God and our Father in heaven, we come before you this afternoon longing to hear you speak to us. We thank you for the journey that you've enabled us to be, going, to be doing through the book of James and showing us that true faith shows itself in practical godly living. And so this afternoon again we come asking that may the Holy Spirit engrave the truth upon our hearts and aid the preaching of your word so that the word that will come through the mouth of your servant will be pleasing in your sight and will be for the purpose of our sanctification. So we pray that you be with the hearers that are physically present and those that have joined us via a live streaming. And so we ask, our oh God, that be pleased to glorify yourself for Jesus' sake. Amen. we continue in our study of the book of James and the last time we 
looked at this book, which was about two weeks ago, two Lord's Days ago, we concluded chapter 3. And we had considered verse 17 and 18, and we considered uh, a true wisdom. We saw James here describing to us what true wisdom is. And he contrasted that with uh, uh, false wisdom. Uh, and he shows that false wisdom is from the earth, it's demonic, and it's earthly. And then in verse 17 of chapter 3, he says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and goodness, impartial and sincere. And then verse 18, And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This afternoon we begin chapter 4. And again you can see that there is a a connection between the ending of chapter 3 uh, and the beginning of chapter 4. James earlier on had shown what earthly wisdom is all about. And now as he begins chapter 3, his, his, rather chapter 4, he's, he's warning against uh, worldliness, but he's also showing to us that false wisdom has these results. And these results are quarrels, fights, envy, and everything that comes with that. And he clearly states that this wisdom that is earthly, that is oriented towards sensual pleasure, causes all kinds of troubles among Christians among God's people. And in verse, verse, uh, verse 1 through to verse 3 of chapter 4, he's sort of trying to uh, give a diagnostic, or, or trying to diagnose what the problem is. And he's trying to engage his audience so that as he's walking with them step by step, they themselves may be able to conclude with him concerning this whole aspect of false wisdom which brings about <coughs> excuse all kinds of trouble and 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 James is concerned that th this false wisdom has devastating effects in the fellowship of God's people and so in ch chapter 4 and the first uh, basically the first 12 verses he, he really wants his audience to examine themselves, examine their attitudes, and, and see that they, they give up everything that brings about conflicts in their midst. And so in chapter 4, verse 1 through to verse uh, 3, he, he, uh, he identifies the source of <coughs> this worldly antagonism. And then verse, uh, verse 4 to 6, he basically shows, he, he, he reproves spiritual unfaithfulness. He rebukes the, 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 that. And then we see in verse 7 through to verse 10, where he now pleads, 
for submission. In fact, all the way to verse 12, he pleads for submission to God. And so as he begins, he's, he's, he's dealing with this element of conflict and then spiritual unfaithfulness. And then he says, all this, the, the solution, the answer is that believers must submit themselves to God. And so this afternoon, we will dive on the first three verses. And what we're considering is conflict resulting from selfish desires. Conflict or conflicts resulting from selfish desires. And the first thing James draws our our attention to is the fact that he wants us to see the desires that control the inner being, our inner being, the desires that control the inner man. And he begins in verse 1. And he's asking two questions. And the first question is, is sort of pinpointing. And he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you. Self-gratifying desires is the cause of conflicts and quarrels. That's what James is saying to us. And he, he pinpoints where the issue is, the root of the problem. And the people he's, he's writing to are fully aware that the conflicts are only a symptom of something deeper and bigger. And, and as he's writing to them, he's pointing them to where the real problem is. The outward expression or the outward base of what is happening inside is not the the real problem. But the real problem is what is within them, inside of them, what is brewing and raging within their hearts. And so he challenges them to identify the true source of their fights and quarrels. And the fact that the vapes that he uses, quarrels and fights, are, are in plural, indicates that he's not referring to <coughs> one isolated conflict or occurrence in their midst, but rather that this was now a chronic condition among them. It may not have been true of all of them, but certainly it was something that was becoming chronic in their midst. It was becoming a source of concern. Now remember, we said he was writing to the Jews that are scattered. And so probably he was getting reports of what was happening among them. And so now he writes so that they could diagonize with him, examine and try to find where the problem is. And 
And the first of these strong vapes that use what causes quarrels donates this prolonged state of hostility. There's been this, this protracted state of hostility in their midst and therefore the result were quarrels. While the latter fights point to the specific, specific outburst of hostility in active conflict. So there's this element of quarrels and then these quarrels results into actual fights. And so James asks a sharp question. Two sharp questions. The first one is pinpointing to the root of the problem. And then the second, which is in the last half of this one, he sort of now tries to give them an answer in the question form. And he says, is it not this that your passions are at war within you? And having asked them the question, he immediately answers the question, but the, with, and in his answering the question, he's challenging them. He's challenging his audience to acknowledge the correctness correctness of his diagnosis. That what he's saying, what he's doing, the diagnosis he's making, is correct. The root of the quarrels, the root of the fights, is because of the passions at war within them. And he's basically saying these selfish desires lust for pleasures or pleasure for self-gratification and each is seeking his own good Everyone is self-centered and therefore there are these quarrels, there are these fights. And James is saying, the root of all this is these desires, these passions for self-gratification. That's where the problem is. And the word passion that James uses there is from the Greek word Head on. And this is uh, the word from which we get our English word hedonism. Hedonism. And, and, and the word hedonism basically donates the enjoyment derived from the fulfillment of one's desires. It's, it's, it's the playboy kind of philosophy. Pleasure is the chief end of our existence. So I must do everything for my own pleasure, even if it means trumping some along the way. That is the philosophy. And James was concerned that this was becoming some, this was manifesting itself in the midst of believers. the cravings for pleasure itself. 
And James pictures these passions as residing within the inner chambers of our hearts. And he's saying that these passions that are waging war within you, these passions, they are carrying on their bitter campaign within you to gain control, to gain satisfaction. And pleasure is the overriding desire of their lives. And nothing will be allowed to stand in the way of its realization. James is basically pointing to the inner man, the, the indwelling of sin. And it's something that also Peter refers to in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 uh, and verse 11, where he's aging Christians, he's saying as Christians, as aliens and sojourners in this world, we must abstain from sinful desires which wage war against you. And James is saying these passions are not just seated within you. They, they are planning, they are strategizing, they are campaigning a bitter overthrow within you. They are waging war within your soul. And as he writes, he's writing to Christians who are busy being devoured by discord and quarrels. And he's saying the problem is not the outward results, but rather the problem is the is the heart. Inside you there is war. And if you give yourself to the passions that are waging war, the results will be quarrels, the results will be fightings. Why? Because you want to gratify your desires at any cost. And this is an ever-present trouble in the church of God throughout history. Even right in the New Testament, when, when you read, you read of what was happening in the church at Corinth. There were divisions clustering around personalities. Somewhere for Apollos, others for Cephas, others for Paul. You read the you read the the letter of Paul to the Philippians. There were two women in that church who had longer heads. The Galatians were, were, were fighting about which laws to keep and which law to throw, whether to be circumcised or not. And clearly, you see. Even in the New Testament, these elements of conflict. And now James also, as he's writing to his audience, he's also addressing this issue. And uh, through this we learn that this is an ever-present trouble in the church of Christ. 
that these quarrels and conflicts sadly characterize the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is this appeal to do an analysis, diagonize ourselves. We put ourselves on a machine and ask the, uh, the question, what is the source of all this? Is it simply an issue of trying to settle scores? Is it, is it an issue of, of doctrine? Are we really wrestling with, with, with some, some doctrinal truth? Or is it because of these passions that are waging war and therefore they are finding their expressions in quarrels and fights? And these quarrels and fights silence the cutting edge of the Christian message. Because if the people of the world are seeing how that conflicts and quarrels as a result of desires that are controlling our, our inner being, are sort of dividing us and causing havoc within God's people, and then we go to them and, and begin to preach the message of peace. They begin to wonder whether we truly believe what the message we are bringing to them. And this is why the Lord Jesus Christ, pleading with his disciples, writing to them, he said, the new command I've given you, that you love one another, and by this the world will know that you are God's the Apostle Paul writing to, to the Ephesians in chapter 4 again, he also pleads to keep the unity of peace. He says, strive, work at it, maintain the bond of peace in the church of Christ. And James is saying to all of us that when we as Christians draw away from God, we move away from his word, we move away from his will, and we enthrone our own passions, our own desires, the result is that we long to satisfy our own appetites at any cost. And as a result, there is constant warfare within our members, but also within our members of our bodies. It spreads out to the rest of the body of Christ. When Christians become bent on pleasure-seeking, desire for self-gratification, it takes precedence over the honor of God. It takes precedence over the welfare of others. And the result is division, conflicts, confusions, and trouble in general. And so James is saying, put yourself on a diagnosis machine and ask, where are these 
quarrels, these fightings coming from? Is it not because of your desires, your selfish desires that manifest in different forms and they are seeking to be fulfilled? Is that not the reason why there are quarrels and conflicts? There are these desires that control our inner being. And James is saying that is where the problem is. It's the heart of man and this is where all this is springing from. But secondly, he also shows that this conflict, these quarrels, these quarrels, these conflicts that he's talking about, he says they're not just waging war within, but the desires that contest others. They are desires that contest others. They fight with others. Verse 2. You desire and do not have. So you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You fight and quarrel. And he says these, these desires, these, these pleasure self-seeking, this pleasure-dominated life has certain inevitable consequences. They begin to contest with others. They begin to fight others. And James vividly, tragically, describes the consequences of such evil desires. And he says in verse 2, as we read, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. These self-gratifying desires set men at each other's throat. Rather, it causes even believers to be at each other's throat. The selfish desire for gratification causes fights and quarrels. The desire for money, the desire for power, the desire for prestige, worldly possession, the desire for the gratification of bodily lust. While all are selfishly striving to possess the same things, James is saying, life inevitably becomes a competing arena 
Because everyone is chasing after those things. Everyone is putting his own interest. Everyone wants this, wants that. And it doesn't matter who possesses it. And therefore, life itself becomes this arena where it's the survival of the strong. And James is saying, these cravings, lead men to do shameful things assassinating each other's character each other's personality not for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ but for personal gratification and this He's saying it drives to covetousness, even to murder. And this is a vicious cycle. Unguarded, self-centered desires. It's a vicious cycle because it's, it's... You're chasing after one thing after the other. And in the process, a lot are being destroyed, being damaged. And this vicious cycle continues to swallow many in its way. And while they are blind to the consequences around, the cycle continues to draw many and therefore quarrels. Fights, covetousness resulting into murder. Isn't this true of David? We read in the scriptures. Vetting another, another man's wife. Even when he was told this is the wife of your captain Uriah. He coveted, he desired, he got someone's wife and in the process engineered the death of Uriah. Absalom wanting to throw his father out of the throne engineered the rebellion within the kingdom to overthrow David if possible even through death what about Naboth who was a victim of covetousness killed for his vineyard And James is saying, this is the vicious cycle. These passions that are waging war within you, they are strategizing. They are not dormant. They are not sleeping. They are not dead. They are trying to find their way out. And they are waging or they are waging a campaign. And this campaign is to overthrow you. 
you see this cycle and James says you desire and do not have so you made you covet and you cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel and James is saying the problem with this vicious cycle is that those who are on its path they go unsatisfied. They go unfulfilled. In spite of their habitual lust for the worldly pleasures, the goods of this world, they are never satisfied. And what do they do? What they did not obtain in partial fulfillment their lust did not satisfy them. And so they chase for more and more and more. And it only increases their desire so that there is this constant unsatisfied pleasure. There is this constant unfulfilled passions. And therefore it results in these uncontrolled passions. And he says, because they do not have what they desire, they murder. They covet, they murder. They cannot obtain, they fight and quarrel. And brethren, James' point is this, that to be moved by lust and covetousness is to be moved to the point of abandoning the value of other people. And because you've abandoned the value of other people, the next step is murder. You don't mind if their life is ended. You don't mind if their, their character is destroyed. You don't mind if their integrity is destroyed. You don't mind if their reputation is destroyed. Why? Because the last, the covetousness has moved you to abandon, to see the value of the other person. That these are God's children. God died. God the Son shed his blood for them. And therefore, they are valuable and precious to him. But since you are not, you, you've abandoned the value of them, you've been forgotten that they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You move to assassinate them. Their personal integrity, their character, and everything destroyed. And James reminds us that to take what is valuable of one's life is a kind of murder. 
And the whole idea is that of losing sight of the worth and the welfare of the other person. And the problem is self-centeredness. And this self-centeredness begin to contest or fight others. All that matters is one's gratification without regard to the damage it may do to others. And James is saying this is a vicious cycle. And James is saying there is need to do a clear analysis and deal with the problem. And the heart is a problem. Take that heart to God. Let God deal with that heart. If there is bitterness, there is envy, whatever it is, take it to God. And as God deals with you, the result is that he will show you what to do next. Reconcile to your brothers. Sort the matter with them. Sit. Talk about it. Let it not result into quarrels and fights. The consequences of these desires, these passions, is that they are not satisfied. And because they are not satisfied, they become uncontrolled passion. And, and they result in frustration and futility of pursuits. And James says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. The desires that contest others. And then thirdly, we see that desires for self-gratification negates prayer. Desires for self-gratification negates prayer. The last half of verse 2 and verse 3. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And James is showing us that this, this vicious cycle, this path con construe the obvious. The reason why there is this quarrels, why were these covetousness, why there is this, it's because of prayerlessness. And James is saying the reason is that you do not have because you do not ask. But even if when you ask, you, do not, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And, and, and James is repeating this, this statement. He's saying this consuming desire, this bitter antagonism, he 
wants his audience to see that the reason there is that there is no there is prayerlessness or this self-centeredness negates prayer. You don't pray. Instead of taking everything to God in prayer, all you're spending is seeing how you can get that and that from those who possess them. And he's saying the reason is they were going after it in the wrong way. They did not ask God for it. And therefore they were lusting and fighting rather than praying. And when you read the last half of verse 2 and verse 3, James uses you, your, at least five times in those two sentences. And here is the significance of his analysis, his diagnosis. It is that covetousness is a fruit of desiring but not having. It is a fruit of desiring but not have, having. But this develops out of a life of prayerlessness. He says, because you do not ask. And those, word, those words need not mean that they were completely prayerless. But that apparently they felt it inappropriate to ask God for the things that they were desiring in their hearts. At least they were, they were very conscious, or at least they were very clear on their doctrine of God. They knew that God is present. He sees their hearts. And so they thought that if I go before God and pour my heart before him, he sees everything. It is inappropriate to even take these evil desires, these selfish desires before a holy God who sees all things. And therefore, what do you do? You just don't ask. And just pursue. And they formulated their plan to attain these desires using personal efforts, ruthless efforts. And James is saying the problem is that you've gone it the wrong way. You are lasting, coveting that which is not yours. And therefore you are not getting what you desire. You quarrel, you fight, you murder. But you still don't get what you desire. And the word ask there is in the present tense when you read the Greek pointing to their, to their repeated failure to bring their petitions before God. It was characteristic of them. There was this repeated failure for them to bring these requests before God. And it was because what they were asking for or what they were desiring were selfish and had nothing to do with the welfare of others, but simply 
because of personal interest. Self-centeredness negated their prayer life. They made themselves the center of all actions and not God. And this self-centeredness, this self-centered arrogance prevented them or destroyed prayer in their midst. And even while some did pray, they were not getting what they were praying for because they were asking wrongly. It was out of their selfish passions which had nothing to do with the honor and the glory of God. And so James says there in verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And the word there that James uses for spend is a similar word that the, the Greek, it's a similar Greek word that the Lord Jesus Christ uses in Luke chapter 15, verse 13 and 14, describing the life of the prodigal son where he squandered his wealth. And so what James is really saying is that what you are asking for is so that you squander it on your pleasures. You want to be wasteful. It has nothing to do with the welfare of your friend or your neighbor. It has nothing to do with the advancement of God. It has everything to do with what you want to spend it on. Selfish pleasures. And James is saying, their intention to indulge in selfish pleasures was the unifying age behind their request or their asking from God. It was this indulgence in selfish pleasure which was the unifying age. And say, this is why you ask and do not receive. And sometimes... This is true of us as Christians. We, we make our prayer requests and we couch, rather we give our prayer requests and couch them in some, some good theology or theological language. And yet at the center of it, if you did an examination of your heart. It's just about me. I, me, and myself. Nothing for God's honor. Nothing for God's work. Nothing for God's glory. <clears throat> Isn't this true? It's probably um, among, among the young. You know, when, when there are so many projects in the church, and you say, look, if... You know, just pray for me that I get, I, I get a good job. I mean, I'll sort out all these things. I mean, it sounds nice. But really, you know what is at the center of that request. Well, if, I, if, if the Lord just blessed me with a job, uh, I, I wouldn't buy a, a bus for the church. 
A few years ago, uh, we were planning for the youth camp. And uh, one zealous youth, you know, basically said, when I start work, may I be sponsoring youths for the camp. And the Lord gave that person a job. You, the rest, I'll leave it to your sanctified imagination or conclusion. And, and really, this is what James is saying. When your desires are wrong, you cannot mock God. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. We can go before God and, and multiply requests. The Lord sees our hearts. He knows the source. He knows the motive of our requests. And if it has nothing to do with his honor, with his glory, James is saying, this is why when we ask, we do not receive. Because we ask wrongly so that we spend it on the passions of our hearts. It is the same passions that he talks about in verse 1 that brings quarrels and fights. It is the same way that uses in verse 3. These passions are the same. They are seated within us, waging war. And when they have the opportunity, they come out. And James is saying, these are the requests we put before God. And God who sees our hearts, sees our motives, sees our minds, he cannot be mocked. Hence, he's not requesting, rather giving you what you request. Prayer. Prayer should orient one to God's will so that our requests will be what is pleasing in the sight of God. And when the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching us how to pray, teaching his disciples, he said, you must say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about you, your will, your work. Your name. And then he said, give us today our daily bread. After, Lord, you've done what you please. It's after you've enabled me to do everything about you. Then you can give me today my daily bread. God will answer the prayers that have to do with his honor and the advancement of his kingdom. When we ask of him in the name of Christ, everything that has to do with him, his glory, and his honor, he will answer that question. And James was writing to a people, a people that knew what was right and wrong. They knew that selfish desires drove a wedge between them and God. 
they knew that they should not be guilty of conflict. And he declares, James writes in the strongest of terms, that they should examine themselves. And this must be true also of us. We know what is right and wrong. We know that selfish desires which have no concern of the welfare of our neighbors, of our brothers and sisters in Christ, will result in conflict in the body of Christ. And James is concerned, this is sinful, and it should not be among God's people. We must seek to do that which honors God and do good to our neighbors for the glory of God. And when there are quarrels and conflicts, fighting, we must do a diagnosis of our hearts. What is the root problem? I'm allowing sin which is waging war in me and therefore bursting out of my heart and contesting with my brothers and sisters in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes we may, we may hide in the name of no, trying to maintain the purity of the church, the doctrine of the church, when we really know that at the center of it is selfishness to show that we are theological giants or we are the ones who understand the scriptures. And James is saying when we've all sincerely done an examination of our hearts, we will see that the problem is me, my heart. My passions are waging war within me and I've allowed them to burst out open and beginning to contest with others. The only thing worth shedding blood over is the name and the owner of the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be differences. We will have doctrinal differences sharply at times. But we must know when to fight and when to hold our peace. When the name of Christ is at stake, his honor, his message, we can shed blood because he is the church's one foundation and when the foundation is not strong or is broken or is cracking there will be no building and we need wisdom patience and love for one another to accommodate our differences our different understandings and still serve the Lord Jesus Christ who is worthy of our lives and our blood all other things, as important as they might be, there is room to allow one another to understand things differently. But if they hinge on the doctrine of Christ, the honor of God, yes, then we can shed blood. But this requires wisdom, love, and prayerfulness to know when to fight and when to hold our peace. Amen.